The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, Panther fans? Welcome to the final episode of the four-man rush for the 2021 Carolina Panthers season. Panthers, with their loss to Tampa Bay, finished 5-12, uh, capping off the worst finish in NFL history for a team that won its first three games. What was it, Kev? A 41-2? to shoot, I don't even remember the score, man. That's so 41-17, bro. Wow. Got 40 burger on the last game of the season. You know, not much to talk about that. You know, I think today we're not going to focus so much on the game yesterday, but kind of look at, you know, what happened throughout this year and some things we heard today as far as the future direction of the franchise. So I think the biggest news of the last couple of days is that Matt Rule, despite going 10 and 23 in his first two seasons, will be back for a third year. So. Let's start with that, uh, Smooth. What are your thoughts on Matt Rule getting another opportunity to turn this thing around, and do you think he deserves another chance? I don't think the current situation is salvageable. I don't find a solution as far as being able to address the quarterback position and three-quarters of your offensive line all in one offseason. I just don't, I don't see that happening. Um, I think he actually set us back. Um, when it came to moving on from Ron Rivera, I was very clear. I didn't mind the move to move forward, but at the same time, you had to have a plausible upgrade already in mind. And for anybody to think that that man was going to be Matt Rule, I have questions about them too. So I think, like I've stated in uh, episodes before this, it all starts upstairs for me. Um, I'm not happy with ownership. I'm not happy with the the general front office. So I know I sound demoralized, man. I'm just I'm just kind of heartbroken because I don't see the future being bright right now. I think the quicker we can move on from this situation, the better. So bringing him back for a third year, all that does is guarantee us another another season of disgust. Uh, Kev, I know you were. Other than Mel, you and me were one of the few people that, you know, gave Matt Rule a fair chance initially and thought, you know, maybe he could make that transition from college to pro. I guess after two years, you know, now you have a full body of work to see what he's been able to do at the pro level. What are your thoughts about how he's done so far and does he deserve a third year? Yeah, I definitely was someone that was really on the Matt Rule um, train, especially, you know, this point last year, you know, after even though we had a five and 11 season, you know, our team was competitive. We made it uh, we made it interesting to the very end. Um, it was just I just felt like that. OK, we got our fight back in us. Now we just need to add some key talented pieces, you know, to c- continue this rebuild. But. You know, sh- shit hit the fan quickly in March of 2021. Uh, number one, doing this trade for Sam Donald, you know, giving up three draft picks, a fourth and a sixth in 2021 and a second rounder in 2022, even though we recouped a fourth and a sixth per se in the draft, that didn't materialize out too much either. So, you know, when the Jets are picking 40th in an upcoming draft, Panther fans have fun because that was a pick that we could have used at whatever player is talent and available at this time. Uh, second crime that told me that this season was going to be um, wasn't going to be heading in the direction that we felt like it should was on day one 
you know, big smooth. You called it out because you immediately recognized both of these players. Uh, for offensive line, we on day one now, not day eleven. Day one, we signed Cam Irvin at Pat Fline. And when the moves were made, I didn't really know him. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe these are just guys to, you know, help fill out the roster depth because our offensive roster line, offensive line depth had got gutted. Little did I know that Matt Rule had plans for these guys to be uh, the primary left side uh, um, for us, for um, Sam Donald to protect him and for open up holes for Christian McCaffrey. So just in the month of March alone, those two moves pretty much pretty much doomed us to um, having the season that we had. And another thing that happened in March <clears throat> related with Sam Donner that's now cast a huge shadow over the 2022 season is the signing of his fifth-year option uh, in March without him even having a practice, without even seeing him throw a football in, in a Panthers uniform, not even a practice, not even an OTA. And now we're 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 stuck in Saddleback with his 18, I think it's 18.8 million dollar uh, fifth year option, which has greatly you know handicapped us with him. So just just off the month of March alone, our season, from my perspective, was set up to fail in the two biggest areas: quarterback play and offensive line. You guys know, uh, you know, all of us were pretty much. You know, even though we felt like Teddy Bridgewater could have, you know, did make some mistakes and we did call him out, but we clearly felt like Teddy Bridgewater was to be the bridge quarterback based on where his contract was set up at to, you know, until we found our quarterback of the future. Um, but by him getting released, um, by not addressing the offensive line properly, um, our offense was just doomed to just fail no matter how much window dressing Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer tried to, you know, try to do with us here. The constant mismatch. I forgot how many different offensive line changes. I think that was maybe another record set this year. I think we had 13 different offensive line um, starting lineups this year. Um, whether it's a record or not, that's way too damn many um, for for me. That, that's, that's, that's just a, an absurd amount of offensive line changes. And anyone that's played offensive line knows offensive line takes the longest to get any type of chemistry with. And so when you constantly got someone new beside you, uh, you know, it's just, it just, it's just a process that can't be sped up or it can't just be, you know, manipulated. It has to be natural and it has to be fluid. So that would explain a lot of the, the miscommunications that led to defenses basically doing high school stunts and blitzes on us that, that caused us so much grief and pain. Um, it was not hard to confuse the Panthers' offensive line um, in 2021, even though it did happen in 2020 as well. Uh, so for me, that's those are the things that took place that allowed for me to know that Matt Rule heading into the 2021 season uh, wasn't going to be able to build off of the initial movement that he created in 2020. I know Matt Rule takes the bulk of the blame for a lot of the offseason moves, and he does have final say on personnel decisions, but was it him that packaged a second-round pick and thought that would be a good deal to acquire a Sam Darnold, or is that on Scott Fitterer? You know, I know Fitterer is in his first year. He did some great things like bring Cam back. He traded for Stephon Gilmore, uh, trade made the C.J. Henderson trade, and he got a – a lot of loyal followers because of his aggressiveness and trying to acquire these guys. He tried to acquire Matthew Stafford. He tried to acquire Deshaun Watson. But when you look at his full body of work, you know, he, you know, gave the compensation to acquire Sam Darnold. You know, he was the one trading back and passing up on Creed Humphreys and guys like that to, you know, get guys like Brady Christensen later in the draft in hopes that they could give you the same impact on the offensive line. Do you think he's a, uh, free of blame from criticism smoke? Absolutely not. And once again, it points towards uh, ownership, just uh, decision-making altogether. Um, he made a lot of moves that you typically won't make during a rebuild, like acquiring Gilmore. That's a premier player that's coming to compete. You typically make a move like that where you think your team is capable of competing late in January. And clearly we were not that. So, you, you know, you give up a pick for that. You did a lot of trading back in the draft when they were 
quality offensive linemen to acquire. And, you know, you wanted to accumulate capital, but look what we've done with that capital. You know, we had some late round picks. It didn't even pan out. Long snapper never made the team. What was the point of that when you got Trey Smith from Kansas City making Pro Bowls? So, you know, signing Elfline and uh, Cam Irvin on the first day of free agency. Like, I hold I hold him just as accountable. He looks just as incompetent as Rule does. And then just to go back to Rule for a second, even if you are making all these mistakes with personnel, show me that you're getting better as a coach. No one in this fan base can give me an example of how Matt Rule improved as a coach in end-game situations, whether it's clock management, whether it's uh, down and distance, whether it's making it quarter-to-quarter, half-to-half adjustments. Top to bottom, this is just a bad staff. So I gotta look to I gotta look to the owner of this football team and, and, and ask, you know, what is the vision that you see? Because clearly this isn't it for fans. You're lo- you you're losing fandom. You, you you're losing I don't have a joy to watch this football team. This is the first time I've ever ever been able to say that. I've been a fan over twenty years of my life. This is the first time where I'm just completely disgusted with the product on the field, off the field. I'm just not impressed. And I don't I don't I don't find any optimism when I'm looking for it. How is this going to get better? Maybe we have to be patient, but I can remember two and fourteen seasons, one and fifteen seasons where you still had something to a bright spot to look at going forward. We got what? How many free agents we got this year? This is gonna be a brand new team we see going into next season. So I'm just not impressed. And yes, I do hold Federer accountable as well. I think he's incompetent. I mean, I you know, he does make the sexy picks, bringing Cam back, you know, getting big names like Gilmore. I think uh, C.J. Henderson is a young talent that needs further developing. But at the same time, man, it's just, it's not hard to understand that this game is won in the trenches and at the quarterback position. For you to pretty much neglect the two most important positions on a roster for you to have success is mind-blowing to me. I don't understand how they believe we're supposed to get up on Sundays and watch this product that we see every every game. Kev, I know you've been kind of critical of Fitterer as well. What are some things that kind of made you skeptical of uh, him and if he can build this team into a winner? Yes, Smooth, but Smooth is pretty much you know, described it to a T. Uh, only thing I can add on to it without, you know, re-going over what he said was, you know, this is part of Fitterer's M.O. You know, when you look back at, you know, during the Seattle days, um, you know, I know he said it was also a joint effort with him, Pete Carroll, and, um, you know, the general manager um, there. But, you know, he he had his blue fingerprints all on it with these substandard offensive lines that, that um that were put out there to protect their franchise quarterback Russell Wilson. And you and you're starting to see the same thing here. You know, when again, when you're getting guys like Irvine, I mean Irvin and Pat Elfline day one, that's that's toxic. That's a toxic move by by men, especially when you consider not only what we had in the draft, but the free agents that we was available and we actually had some change to actually do something here. You know, when Rude took over this, we, you know, we had a nice little piece of salary cap and and everything. So it's not like, you know, it was when, you know, former GM Dave Gettleman came in, we didn't have no cap space and, you know, things of that nature. You know, Matt Rude came into a, a nice, decent situation where he was in a position that if the right moves were made, we could have really, um, you know, we could have really, you know, you know, addressed and built this line up. Um, but, yeah, as far as Scott Fitter, yeah, he definitely is the one that, you know, if Rule gave the approval of what guys he wanted, it was Scott Fitterer who was the um, how can I put it? He was the engineer behind the moves that got it. You know, Matt Rule was the architect designing it, but uh, Fitterer was the engineer behind the scenes that uh, made it all happen. So when you think about what was given up to acquire the players that we acquired, um, definitely, you know, he got blood on his fingers too with the. Uh, you know, giving up the three picks for a Sam Donald um, is, you know, when the news broke, you guys know I was disheartened about it. Um, you know, 
try we try to reason it. You know, Will, you you and the other guys in the Foreman Rush did a great job of trying to scrape and scour the film of Sam Donald to see any type of possible you know what I'm saying, positive to look into, you know, uh from him. But you know, his his numbers is consistent. What, twelve games this year, sixteen turnovers? That's not different from what he did with the Jets. That's not different from what he did at uh, at USC. Um, you know, it's just uh, it's just uh, it's just abysmal that you know we have people in office who sat back and smiled and looked at this and thought that this would be okay. Um, uh, you know, the move to acquire Gilmore, I ain't on front. Maybe it's just a little bit of Homer in me. Um, I'm not a, so much a South Carolina Gamecock fan, but you know, seeing him you know, play football not too far from where I grew up at, um, you know, him coming back for a six, I, I felt like that with the draft and the J.C. Horn and uh, acquiring a C.J. Henderson and, you know, guys like Keith Taylor, I feel like who, who would be in a better position to help mentor the secondary than a than a Stephen Gilmore who wanted to come home, whose wife has been very vocal about wanting to come home. So uh, I, I agree with move getting someone like Gilmore is a contending move. Uh, I was also looking at it as a, a mention rule um, as we continue this rebuild. Because like I said, if we would have stayed in rebuild mode instead of trying to contend mode, uh, I think it definitely would have uh, played out a lot better. But, uh, yeah, Scott Fitter's fingerprints, he's he's just as dirty as file in, in this debacle as um, rule. Um, you know, I've been on board of saying, you know, patch them both up to go and, you know, get them out because uh, I, I just I just don't like – Fitter's background as far as uh, offensive lines. I know we spent a ton of time, you know, breaking down the offensive line after the post draft. I know Smooth and Kev were both uh, angry because of the trade backs, the guys we passed up on, passing on Creed Humphrey, passing on Trey Smith, passing on Jackson Carmen, several other guys in the second or third round that would probably have come in and been day one impact players. I mean, it's you can even go back into the first round, passing on. Rashawn Slater, who made a Pro Bowl for the L.A. Chargers. So, I mean, we all know that the offensive line is an issue. But I guess the question is, say they're able to address the offensive line this year, would you be excited about us going into the 22 season with Sam Darnold at quarterback behind a revamped offensive line? The reason I ask that question is, you know, I know a lot of people – he has a strong support base who thinks that, you know, the supporting cast around him fails. I'm going to look at some stats from Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com. He tracks stats of QBR when a quarterback is unpressured. In 2018, Sam Darnold's QBR when unpressured, so this is from a clean pocket, was 45.9. That ranked 28th in the NFL. In 2019, it was 45.6. That ranked 25th in the NFL. In 2020, it was 32.9. That ranked dead last in the NFL. And in 2021, that ranked 33.4, which was 29th in the NFL. So over the past four years, from clean pockets while unpressured, Sam Darnold's QBR is dead last out of every single qualifying quarterback that's played football over the past four years. So that's from a clean pocket, right? I want to go to his draft profile next. This is from USC. So we already know from a clean pocket, he's not effective and hasn't been good as well. Look at his scouting report because you want to know, you know, has he changed since he was at USC and what's his upside? You look at his weaknesses. This is from Lance Zerline, you know, professional scout at NFL.com. He has an elevated release, which is impossible to miss. The ball drops to his waist with his forearm towards the ground pre-delivery. His wind-up gives defenders an early crew on how to break on the throw. So that wind-up is why he gets a lot of balls batted at the line of scrimmage, number one, and why DBs are able to break and time his route, time, um, sorry, come out of their breaks and get those breakups and interceptions as well because of his wind-up. His muscle memory doesn't allow for release correction, so his release is a problem. Total turnover, uh, turnover total is alarming. He finished his 2017 season at USC with 13 interceptions and nine lost fumbles, right? He had 20 interceptions over his last 20 games at USC. His decision-making and his field vision were inconsistent throughout the year. He has a tendency to rush throws once his internal clock winds down. So that means from a clean pocket, 
even from clean pockets when he's protected well, he's going to have a clock speeding up too fast. So he's going to rush his throws, rush his decisions. That's going to cause a lot of his turnovers, even when he's well protected, right? He has too much mustard on short throws, which we've seen in his hospital balls to DJ and Robbie and Terrace Marshall, which have knocked them out of games. He's too willing to throw from an uneven platform. He doesn't get his feet set very well. His intermediate accuracy fell off. Uh, that's still the case in this year. DJ Moore was first in the entire league in uncatchable targets that were the fault of the QB. So, you know, DJ still was able to put up 1,200 yards, but imagine how many yards he would put up if he didn't have those 26 uncatchable balls from his quarterback, right? He can throw better ball placement and leaders targets. You know, that gets back to the hospital balls. His deep ball touch needs work. He took sacks when incompletions were available. So as bad as our offensive line is, he, some of those sacks are on the quarterback. He's holding the ball too long, not processing things very fast, and he's taking unnecessary sacks, right, or bailing the pocket and taking say, he took so, And he rarely slides in the open field, which has to change. As we saw in Atlanta, you know, he didn't slide, got knocked out, and that's how he had that shoulder injury. So given all that, you know, I've given you the stats on how he's performed from a clean pocket. I've given you, you know, his breakdown from college, which basically tells you he's the same player he's been for the last five years. I'll start with you, Smooth. Do you have confidence in Sam Darnold going into 2022 behind a revamped offensive line or his quarterback another position that we need to address? Well, knowledge of the game would tell me that you have to have confidence, provided that you can give him more time to throw. But based on the analytics that you just displayed, I don't really think he's the answer or the solution. You know, you give him a couple extra second time, uh, extra seconds to throw, the guy still might walk out there making mistakes because we've seen that when he was in the Jets uniform. We've seen that pretty much every year of his career in the pros, even if you give him a clean pocket. The only defense I can say is, well, maybe he already sees ghosts because he's used to being under pressure. So even when the pocket is clean, he's still timid. He's still in fear of being hit. So to be honest with you, I just think we need a fresh start. I think he needs another change of scenery. He might need to go learn, you know, behind a, a, a solid veteran. I think quarterback as a whole, as well as the offensive line. I don't like based on the way it looks right now, Donald is not the answer if we want to win football games and want to rejuvenate this uh this football team. I just don't see it. I don't think anybody sees it. Now, Kev, I know one idea you're a fan of, whether it's likely or not, is instead of running back with Sam Darnold, maybe give Cam Newton an opportunity under more fair circumstances, you know, with a revamp offensive line and possibly address the quarterback position at a later time. Can you explain why you think that might be a better route to go? Yeah, um, gladly. Uh, the reason why I feel that way is – uh, for the following reasons. Um, number one, uh, Cam Newton has the entire support of the uh, locker room. And many fans may hear that but not understand how important that is. You know, the guys that go to war with you every Sunday, they got to have a belief in you. They got to have a a connection with you that just makes them feel like no matter what happens today, we know that with you, you know, we're going to be in and we're going to find a way to pull out and win. Um, we don't we don't have that with any other player on this roster, but uh, but Cam Newton, particularly at the uh, quarterback position. That's number one. Uh, number two for me, the reason why I feel that way is that, you know, our situation is 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 very unattractive, you know, to any potential free agents, because when you look at it um, again, um, Revamped offensive line with, as I mentioned earlier, offensive line that had 13 different starting lineups. Uh, you know, even though as fans we complain about the other players and agency too, how we're mismatching, we're not playing the right offensive lineman in the right position. Who, who wants to put up with that? Um, you know, things of that nature. Um, is it's just it's just very, it's not very appealing, and. I think that Cam Newton, although he did stay, you know, we can get into uh, what comments were made later on, but something he said today was, quote, he has no problem being a backup quarterback, but not for another 5-12 and 12, uh, season, which means, um, you know, I mean, put me on a team to, that's going to, uh, as a backup, that's going to be competing on winning or 
give me a shot to win this job is basically what I felt like uh, felt like that he was saying. Uh, we've all known for years, Cam season, Cam Newton in the off season, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody else in the league that works out more rigorously, more intensely, more consistently uh, than Cam Newton. And then my third reason um, to want to run it back with him is because he, again, he's a veteran quarterback that's seen everything. There's no ghosts with uh, there's no ghosts with Cam Newton. You know, a lot of the bad passes and mistakes that he had during his uh, brief comeback towards the end of this year was what I knew would happen all along. You know, you're talking about a guy that went from sitting on the couch playing with his kids for months to, you know, being uh, being thrown out there and. As we stated, you know, those thousands of reps in the offseason from OTAs, mini camps, uh, training camps, things like that, that that chemistry, that timing, that takes time. You you just can't throw out and say because they're a quarterback, oh, it's supposed to instantly happen. Had any other quarterback went through the same thing, um, you know, you would have seen very similar results uh, as well. Um, so, you know, for me, I, ideally, I would like Cam to sign maybe a two-year contract, a little two-year contract, possibly with an option year um, included. Uh, ride out this ugly, potentially ugly, because when you look at our 2022 schedule, it's definitely not something that's appealing. But with a Cam Newton at quarterback with a improved offensive line, I feel like that we could give a much better fighting chance if we're looking to be anywhere optimistic in 2022. Um, but in the long run, you know, like I said, that mental role, mentoring role uh because i just feel like we potentially could be looking at a three and 14 season in 2022 with a chance to possibly have a first overall prick and you know you guys have pretty much sold me on you know the quarterbacks out of uh, alabama bryce young and the uh other one out of uh ohio state was it cj stroud i believe it is yeah so you know for me Hey, I'm a Panther fan. It doesn't discredit me because I'm not optimistic about 2022. But uh, Cam Newton would be the perfect quarterback to get us through a tough 2022 and let us have time to mentor and groom, you know, the future quarterback coming in while we get this coaching situation head out. Because with the if we can't even win five games next year, Matt Rule will not be back uh, for 2023. And I think that whoever the New coaches should have a veteran in Cam Newton um, available who wants to be here and a number one overall draft pick where he can get a, the quarterback that he wants to groom for himself. I just think that that would be the best both short-term next season and potentially long-term future quarterback scenario would be with uh, Cam Newton leading the way. That's why I feel the way I feel. Yeah. I know, Smooth, you're on board with Cam as well, so I want to let you comment on that. But I'm going to add another question for you. What do you think about – shooting high in the trade market for a quarterback because I know Houston wants to move Deshaun Watson rumors about Aaron Rodgers wanting to leave Green Bay Russell Wilson wanting to leave Seattle you think Carolina should be in play for one of those top tier quarterbacks or even better do they even want to be here <laughs> well, I, <clears throat> I highly doubt any of the premier quarterbacks when it comes to a situation where they can't be protected so in acquiring one of those quarterbacks, you got to talk about giving up assets. We already don't have them. So what are we really giving up? All we're doing is digging ourselves in a deeper hole for years to come. But if you would approach this entire situation a little different, it might be on the table to go ahead and try to get a get a premier quarterback and give up some draft picks. But we at this point, we need as many draft picks as possible. It just it doesn't make sense to me to believe that. We can build this team with just the quarterback. You gotta have an offensive line, and we gotta go ahead and get some. Now, we're staying on the quarterback uh, position. You know, I know we re-signed PJ Walker today to a one-year deal. Um, I don't think Rule in his, you know, probably prove it year with a back against the wall is gonna go into a season with. P.J. Walker and Sam Darnold in the quarterback room. So the question is, you know, I think we're all on board with bringing back Cam for another year so we can uh, agree on that. But what are some other options uh, Matt Rule has? If the premier, if he whiffs on the premier quarterbacks like he did last year, I mean, if you recall, we, the trade for Matthew Stafford was basically done. And Stafford said, no, nah, I don't want to play there. And, and, you know, the trade fell apart and he goes to the L.A. Rams, who's going to be in the playoffs now. So, so many whiffs on 
some of these premier quarterbacks, what are your other options? Do you go with a journeyman or Mitch Trubisky or Ryan Fitzpatrick, a Jimmy trade for a Jimmy Garoppolo trade for a Baker Mayfield, or do you just, you know, is he going to run it back with a Sam Darnold? Do you draft a quarterback, possibly trade back and try to double down, get a O lineman and a Kenny Pickett or a Malik Willis? How do you go about addressing? Both I mean, just, O-line? just call Kurt Warner at this point. Like what, what the hell does it matter? We can't build a we we can't protect anybody we put back there. We've shown you that all year. I think the 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 original solution would have just been to hold on to Cam. Like we know what Cam is. We know he's not the same player. We know he makes mistakes, but he was the perfect bridge until you can get better. So at this point, you can call Brett Favre. You can call Kurt Warner. To me, it really doesn't matter because we don't have guys in front of them that can protect the quarterback. It didn't really matter who we had under center. So. I think we need to stay stay the court, you know, focus on trying to get better in the trenches, whether that's picking somebody with that with that six pick or if it's trading back to acquire a Jamari Sailor in the second round. I don't think he's going to be there. I think he's going to round one. But just we got to try to get better in the trenches any way possible. And then we could probably talk about what we're going to do at quarterback. Because if you don't really – if you don't fix this, this what's in front of us, we, we're not getting better. It don't matter who the quarterback is. Well, I, I know that's a valid question. Like, what other options we got, Fitzpatrick and stuff like that. But what the hell does it really matter if we can't protect anybody back there? Now, let's put yourself in Matt Rule's shoes. If you fix all five O-line positions, you know, and we go into next year with a good offensive line, what do you think the team or this, the ceiling of the 2022 team would be? with a revamped offensive line in the current quarterback room we have now? You go from winning uh, five games to maybe six or seven games, still get fired, and we all get what we want. All right, so that's enough about the offense. I mean, we have some – no, we could talk about running backs, receivers, and tight ends, but I think those are far from the biggest issues with the offense this year. So we can address that at a later time in this offseason. Let's talk about this defense. You know, kind of a – we got off to a fast start. You know, they were number two defense, I think, in yards. They finished that way. You know, first couple of weeks they were on fire. You know, arguably one of the best defenses in the league. They started to tail off at the end of the year. I mean, look at these rankings. We're 21st in points allowed, 26th in takeaways, so they're not take, get, taking the ball away from opponents, Right. Rushing yards, they're 18th in yards given up. But at the same time, you know, they're 32nd. So they have the worst starting field position against in the entire NFL. Uh, Kev, what's your overall assessment of the defense this year? Do you think we still need some improvements on that side of the ball, or do you think they were just a victim of basically bad offense? Honestly, it was a combination of both. But you know, for all the uh, glitz and glamour of the fast start. And again, you can't control who's on your schedule. So I don't apologize for how fast we started off defensively. Um, you know, with the, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the three quarterbacks that we faced those three games, I mean, it was, you know, we were, we were primed to have success. If we didn't exploit it as the greatest we did, I would have been concerned. So, uh, by facing a rookie Zach Wilson, by facing a turnable machine like Jameis Winston, by facing a rookie, another rookie quarterback, uh, Davis, whatever his name is, with the three names in Houston, um, you know, our our defense, who steadily got better towards the second half of 2020 and added some more pieces in 2021 offseason, during the offseason, um, damn right, I, it was good to see them get off to that start. But, you know, we, you know, here at the Foreman Rush, you know, we're film junkies. We were we were seeing potential holes, and we kept saying, you know, if the right team catches us, you know, we're in trouble. Yeah. And lo and behold, week four, them stinking-ass Dallas Cowboys got a hold of us, and they pretty much put the league on notice about us, and we never recovered from it. Uh, the same way that I said after the Super Bowl, like, you know, I used to call it the Denver blueprint, you know, how to attack the Panthers, and um, particularly – um, offense, Dallas without the blueprint. And week after week, how many teams did y'all see do the exact same thing against our our defense once we got that number two ranking? And that's something, um, you know, as you mentioned, Will, I'm glad you brought out those other stats behind it because we still have fans thinking the defense, all right, no, because we got the number two defense. 
we got a number two defense in total yards, okay? So that means that, yeah, we probably defense gave up the fewest yards, but, but but because we had so many turnovers on offense given opposing teams short fields to score against us on, that's why those numbers are skewed. Um, so don't be bragging about number two total yards when you when you clearly see us, you know, getting you know, getting our guts handed to us. Uh, but as far as like things that we need to prove on, I think defensive line, although it's talented, I don't know if it's a positional coach thing. Um, I like to see I like the guys that we have personnel wise, but I just feel like that uh, I didn't see it really take off to the next level. Um, you know, Derek Brown, I would say out of 16, 17 games, I think he was solid to um, solid pretty much for 12 games. Um, he had a few games where he was on roller skates and got, you know, got his back blown out and moved out the way. But uh, mostly for the large part, he was there. Um, Daquan Jones, who we acquired, um, I enjoyed him as a space eater. He also showed that he can make opportunities. My my issue was whenever we um, was on the on the ends, whenever teams spread us out with their 11 personnel to force us to play nickel, who we had on the edges. And, of course, we had Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick you know, with a hand in the dirt and teams were pretty much spread us out with personnel but, but, and still run power, you know, with us out of single bat sets. And that's what we seem to struggle mightily with on the, uh, on the edges. Um, I saw this one stat, uh, it was, the source was, uh, I believe it was footballoutsiders.com. Um, some I've been following the last few years. They, they, they were able to break down how opposing offenses, attack defenses and when it comes to off tackle run plays uh the panthers were giving up nearly 5.3 yards off tackle this season <laughs> you know so it's basically teams look like oh brian burns or son reddick in the game all right let's let's spread them out and run at them and they had it with much success but whenever we put in utia gross meadows and morgan fox in those as defensive ends in those 40 fronts a lot of that nonsense stopped. Oh, and also Marquise Haynes. Let's let me not forget him um, in the rotation as well. So when the quote non-starters got those defensive end edge reps, uh, the bleeding stopped when it comes uh, against the run game. Um, when we was in that particular alignment, uh, linebacker play. I mean Jermaine Carter. All that enthusiasm about it we had about him coming into year four quickly fizzled this last half of the season. Um, I, I don't expect him to re, re sign back. He showed no reason to be uh, brought back here. Shaq Thompson, he had his moments, but at times he still, I don't know if the weight of the season just kind of got to him. Um, at $18 million, I, I, I need more um, than what uh, he gave. I think he moved in the right direction, but I need more to justify that salary coming up uh, from here. Where, where was the game changing plays like? Right now, tell me your top five Shaq Thompson game-changing plays from this year. You'll be hard-pressed to find them. Now, you know, for years, we could easily do that with Luke Keekler or Thomas Davis, but we can't with the Shaq Thompson. Um, so linebacker core definitely um, leaves a lot to uh, lot to be desired. I'll let y'all speculate more on DBs because, you know, I'm still learning the nuances of the position. But um, I know y'all brought up the fact that a safety opposite of Jeremy Chin is still something come up. Y'all know I'm a big Kenny Robinson fan. Um, I think he had some good moments this year when he was allowed to play, uh, but we'll see moving forward. Uh, we'll talk about free agency. We'll talk, dig deeper into free agency. We have all offseason to discuss that, but initial thoughts of Smooth. I know Frankie Louvu, Jermaine Carter, Hassan Reddick, Dante Jackson, Justin Burris. you have any thoughts on who should stay and who should go as far as our defensive free agents? Certainly would love to have Louisville back. Um, I think, you know, I told you guys about him early on in last year's free agency. I had some friends over on the Jets. One of my cousins used to be a scout for them. And he told me that Louisville was going to be a great football player. And I think he showed you that all year on a consistent basis when given opportunities, especially on special teams. You know, he's a, he's a jack of all trades. He can contribute on the defense and he can contribute on special teams. We probably can get him at an uh, affordable rate. I would love to have Dante back, man. I think he was playing some of the best football of his life, you know, before the injuries caught up with him again. I guess the only question mark there would be, 
You know, can he can he give you a healthy six or seven, 16, 17 games? Honestly, I think, you know, him going to IR was just kind of a, you know what, let me go get healthy because I know this season is over with. I put some good tape out there in case I'm, I'm not returning. I have some good tape out there to get the best offer in free agency. So I don't think – I think Dante could have probably played if you needed him to, but it was just no point. So he's another guy I like to bring back. Of course, you want to bring back Reddick, but if you bring him back Reddick, we got to make a change to this philosophy. Like Kevin mentioned earlier, you know, off tackle, teams attacked us all year long. How do you adjust to that? You know, how do you how do you adjust to having two guys that are just lighting the ass on the edges? That's just – that's just what it is. When you got Reddick and Burns on the field at the same time, you can run right at those guys. So I think we need a philosophy change more so than, you know, personnel changes, to be honest with you. But um, those those are the free agent names that I'm looking at. I would love to have Dante back. I would love to have Luvu back. Um, I could pretty much move on from Jermaine Carter. But definitely uh, Dante would be priority for me. Luvu would be priority for me. And then whoever else might be able to fit the identity, if you guys know what that is, I still don't even know what the identity of this football team is. But um, those are the two guys I would definitely want to bring back. Let's talk about identity. I know there's some in some reports about the Matt Rule and his staff starting to interview potential offensive coordinators for next year. So far on the list, there's four candidates. You have uh, Bill O'Brien, who will be coaching Alabama tonight in the national championship. Uh, Bill O'Brien started. He didn't really start his career, but he's big. He got his big chance in the New England Patriots in 2012. I think they had like the second or third ranked offense in the league. So he's part of that Bill Belichick, Nick Saban tree. He went to Penn State, had a lot of success in college there, came back to Houston as a head coach. Um, as a coach, I think he's a very qualified candidate. I mean, you remember he made the playoffs back-to-back -back years with Brock Eisweiler and Brian Hoyer, quarterback in the Houston Texans. He gets Deshaun Watson, kind of takes Houston to the playoffs consistently. Now, I think his downfall, and this is where a lot of people kind of sour on him, were his trades as a general manager because Houston hired him in two positions, his head coach and GM. So his personnel moves kind of buried the Houston Texans. So that's kind of why, you know, he was eventually let go there and went back to Alabama where he's working with Bryce Young and has a very explosive offense in college. So I think Bill O'Brien would be a good candidate. The question is, is he a little overqualified to be an offensive coordinator under Matt Rule and what could potentially be a lame duck season? Because I know he's getting head coaching consideration from both Denver and Jacksonville, which I think are both much more better situations than what we have going on here. So that's uh, Bill O'Brien. I know I think people that think of that name think of him as the football coach, not the personnel guy, because I think as a coach, he's a very qualified in that aspect but as a personnel guy that's kind of where you know he made some bad trades and kind of put Houston in a tough situation second guy to interview was Jay Gruden you remember him from uh first started with the Washington football team he was part of that group you know they had Matt LaFleur Sean McVay was Kyle Shanahan uh, Mike Shanahan was there the year before so he's kind of in that group um pretty good offensive coach he had some off the field you know issues with uh, Washington and was eventually let go. He's been out of football for the past couple of years, but, you know, as far as the offensive coordinator, you know, he may be, he's probably an upgrade over what we've had here the past couple of years, but not, wouldn't be my first candidate. Third guy they interviewed is Matt O'Connell. He's the offensive coordinator for the LA Rams. You follow the Rams. He's not their primary play caller. So if he comes to Carolina, that would be a new role for him. You know, that's the Sean McVay show out there in L.A. He's also getting head coach consideration as well. I think interview uh, Denver requested an interview for him today. And last is uh, Pep Hamilton, uh, offensive or a quarterback coach for the Houston Texans. Now, Pep, uh, he was actually the offensive coordinator at Howard University the year before I got there. So I'm very familiar with him. He was at Howard for a few years. He got his big chance with the Colts and Andrew Luck. So he probably is familiar with PJ Walker already. And he went to, um, he was, I think he was at Houston last couple of years. I want to say maybe just this year, I think David Culley went there with him. So he's kind of a young up and coming offensive coordinator candidate who may, you know, be what a lot of fans want to look, you know, have put a new offensive mind in there. So 
Kev, out of those four candidates, Bill O'Brien, Jay Gruden, Pep Hamilton, and Kevin O'Connell, I said Matt, my bad. But uh, which one of those four intrigues you the most, if any? Um, I'm going to be honest. Up until now, you, you kind of had me leaning. Uh, I was leaning towards uh, Bill O'Brien, but you brought, some, you brought up a point that I didn't really – put a lot of weight into it. Um, the fact that he's more than qualified to potentially be a head coach again. Um, now it depends on how bad of, um, of a dead weight that his role as GM may kind of make teams kind of stand offers to him. I, I don't know, but, um, you actually kind of just, just now convinced me to go from, uh, Bill O'Brien to uh, Pep Hamilton as far as um, the, the offensive coordinator for net season. Now, what's sad about that, whoever it is, potentially could be looking, be looking to be just as lame duck potential situation as can be. Um, you know, it, it, it just really all depends on the, the, who we had, like having the quarterback room, you know, if if we got a if we if we are able to get a Cam Newton back into the quarterback room, then I will feel a lot more confident with it. But if we're just sticking with um, Sam Donald, PJ Walker, and whatever veteran free agent cuts, I really don't think that we have any more draft picks left to trade to acquire anybody. I, I, I personally, I hope that Tepper tells both Rule and Federer, keep your hands off the 2023 draft picks, lead them shits long. What whatever you got to work with this year, that's it. This. You know, he needs to be very protective. And if that means putting it out there, look, I don't know if I'm going to keep you next year. So I don't need you, you know, tapping into money that you might not be here to spend with. If that's what it takes, so be it. I, I care nothing less about it. I, I really hope Tepper somehow relays that message. Um, but uh, for me, I think Pep Hamilton will, will be my choice um, to be the uh, offense coordinator uh, heading for next year. I, I just think that um, it would be good. To, uh, based on his expertise, based on his background, um, to um, to uh, help us to be, what's the word, more well-balanced and more fundamentally sound than what we was up under Joe Brady. Now, Smooth, who are your, any of those candidates stand out to you, number one? And two, if you were being interviewed for this offensive coordinator position, what concerns would you have and would you consider this to be a good opportunity for yourself? No, I actually think I'd be uh, setting myself up for failure. It would be a smudge on my resume because I don't trust the front office to adequately, you know, put the trenches together the way. Because, you know, if you really think about it, Joe Brady wasn't really a bad coordinator, but he, he was very limited in what he could accomplish just because the guy that, the quarterback never had a lot of time to throw the ball. I think you want to have somebody that's going to at least bring in some identity, you know, if we're going to be a run football, it's a power run football team, let's be that. You know, if we're going to, you know, air it out, let's do that. But we don't really have an identity. So whoever comes in is going to have to be an alpha. Definitely, gotta be. they got to be an alpha male that knows what they want to do. I don't have any candidates, man. I'm just, I want a fresh start all together. So I don't think a, a home run offensive coordinator is changing much, but I mean, who do you, what do you want me to say? I, I would go with Pep, to be honest with you. If you ask me the same question you ask uh, Kev, I'm going with Pep all day, just because you know I want to see what I want to I want to see us win. You know, I want to see us win. We when I say us win, I think a lot of y'all know what that means. It's not just the Panthers, but I want to see us win, man. It's, it's about time. I like to see guys like you know Leftwich get out there and show what he can do. I think Pep Hamilton is up next. That's just that's my answer. Yeah, I think he got kind of a bad rap because of how it unfolded in Indianapolis with uh, Andrew Luck and what happened there. But, you know, you look at the Colts yesterday. I mean, it didn't look – the offense didn't look very good uh, against the 2-14 and 14 Jaguars in a playoff clinching game. So, I mean, you can scapegoat guys all you want. Sometimes you just have to look at uh, yourself when making those types of decisions. So, those are your four offensive uh, coordinator candidates. Maybe they'll add some more guys to the list over the next several weeks. But I think I think what I like about it is that they're finally looking at guys with NFL experience as opposed to 
you know, looking at the college level and trying to, you know, I think I really think, you know, NFL experience is something that staff is uh, lacking at the moment. So, I mean, that covers, you know, pretty much what we went over this season. We'll have a lot more content for y'all this offseason on the draft, free agency, the senior bowls coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, we got the national championship on tonight, so we can probably get a look at some draft prospects like uh, Evan Neal and Jamari Salyer. So, you know, coming up with this Alabama-Georgia game, I know, uh, Smooth, you're high on these offensive linemen. Who should our fans be looking at if they're, they want an offensive line-heavy draft? Definitely uh, Neal. He's the prototype, man. He just fits the bill, has all the size that you look for, the athleticism. Um, Georgia has a guard named Sheffer. He's a pretty solid player, experienced, four-year starter. Definitely going to be playing on Sundays. But my favorite is Jamari Sellier. I think he's shown you uh, throughout the entire season that there's no competition. Right? He's an absolute dog. Um, he can play all five positions. Some people don't know that. He can play center as well. He can play both guard spots. But when you put him on the big stage at left tackle, at the end of the day, he pretty much locked up Willie Anderson from Alabama. I, I intend for him to do that again tonight. And then when you go to the Hutchinson from, from uh, Michigan, I think God, some of you guys seen the tape. He abused him for uh, for four quarters straight. To me, he's the best offensive lineman on the field. And I think, you know, he doesn't get the value he deserves just because of measurables. You know, some people just view him as a guard. I just view him as a lot like Rashawn Slater, a guy that you can put anywhere. He's going to make your offensive line better. So that's what I'm looking forward to watching. I've enjoyed watching him all year long. I've enjoyed studying him in the offseason, working with Willie Anderson, future Hall of Fame right tackle. He used to play for the Bengals. That's who Jamari works with in the offseason. You can see it. It shows on the field. He's a technician. He's uh, way more advanced technically than you would expect from the average, uh, the average offensive lineman coming out of college. He does some things that, you got to really pay close detail and attention to that gives him the advantage. You know, he has outstanding hand placement. He's powerful. He's athletic. Just my, he's my favorite player on the field tonight. So if you guys haven't heard about him, just take a good look at him. I think he makes this football team better going forward. Yeah, Kev, anything you want to add to that about tonight's game that you're going to be on the lookout for? Um. <laughs> Nah, you know, you know, by me and Smooth being trench guys, I mean, he pretty much net on the offense line. And I, I will be taking probably a little more look at the uh, defense line again, just to see what type of talent is uh, definitely uh, out there in the trenches. I know that we had talked about, um, and I hate my mind went blank at this time. Smooth, big number 99 for Georgia, the one that's a run stopper but can't pass rush. What was his name? Davis. Yeah, yeah, him. I, I, I kind of want to see after uh, – how he how he handles you know what uh, Alabama did to him in the SEC championship uh, as far as neutralizing him by pretty much uh, passing when he's in the game um, you know because he really in in that particular game and I haven't watched I'll I'll be the first I haven't watched enough film of him throughout the year to say what if any pass rush moves or what he had but the effort in the SEC championship left a lot to be desired from what I went over and looked at but. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, enjoy looking, you know, my eyes going to be in the trenches cause uh, everything else always gets, uh, the skills positions on both sides gets highlighted. Uh, so that's, that's where I'll be looking at tonight is on the, uh, defensive real, line side. And real quick, you know, some of, some of y'all view, you know, the middle linebacker as a position of need from a, for us. Georgia has one of the best in the country. So you might want to pay attention to him tonight. Just to throw something out there, I know we always talk about the trenches, but linebacker is also a place we can try to get better. I'm Alabama always has good backers, but Georgia has one of the best in the country right now. So this is going to be an exciting game to watch. Yeah, and I also want to tack on moving forward. You know, all of us here at the Foreman Rush are extremely knowledgeable and um, we're still um, learning, um, you know, amongst each other. But definitely, um, you know, the number one source to go to for extreme you know, lineman announcement breakdown. Make sure y'all uh, are following Big Smooth at um, 4M underscore smooth. That's S-M-O-O-V-E. Um, you know, I'm learning a lot from him, you know, by working with him, you know, behind the scenes here at the chat. But, uh, 
His knowledge is second to none. He's like Steph Curry at the free throw line, shooting about 90% when he says a guy is a first round, first round or a guy is Basura. He's spot on. You know, years ago, people had Rack now as what, like a third round pick? And you said, nah, that's a first rounder. And I'd be damned. He went like, what, 20th overall? So uh, Smooth got his receipts. Um, you know, I know my stuff too, but um, I, I definitely got to tip the hat and uh, tell you guys for those that uh, want to learn about the guys that's going to be doing well in the trenches, uh, make sure you guys uh, are following Smooth on Twitter because he's going to be dropping them gems. Yeah, I know a lot of people listening. Yeah, I appreciate that. Familiar with uh, no Jamari Salyer as they are, guys like Evan Neal, Charles Cross, guy from NC State. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Ooh. Here's a preview of Jamari Salyer against Aiden Hutchinson. Now, Aiden Hutchinson was invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, one of the four finalists, projected to be probably either the first overall or second overall draft pick. Watch this rep one-on-one, -on -one, no help. Jamari Salyer, Georgia left tackle versus Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Look at the hands placement. Bam, put him in the dirt. That's the kind of guy, you know, people are kind of overlooking right now. You know, you know, Evan Neal, probably the tackle one, and rightfully so, but, you know, if he goes number one or number two and we're not able to get him, you know, don't turn your TV off because there's still going to be a lot of quality tackles available in this draft. So keep an eye on 69, left tackle Georgia tonight, uh, Jamari Salyer. So with that said, you know, I think all of us are ready to get ready for this game tonight. Um, smooth, Kev, any final thoughts before we sign off? Um, I'd just like to say I know this was another rough year. Uh, for those of us that's been following the four-man rush, uh, this was our, what, fourth season. <laughs> and we've yet to, you know, have a winning season to for y'all to enjoy with us. So we appreciate all you guys for uh, following us and, you know, interacting with us on our different social media platforms here. Uh, you know, 2021 definitely was not a, a fun year, but we definitely had fun interacting with you guys. And uh, whether we agree or disagree or have different philosophy and views, it's all love at the end of the day. You know, we all just trying to – we all want this team to make moves that's going to allow us to have a uh, ticker tape parade on 300 Mint Street. That's that's the end game for us. H however it happens, whether I'm right, I'm wrong, whether Big Smooth is right or wrong, it, whatever leads to us getting a, a ticker tape parade um, in February on Mint Street in Charlotte, that's the end game for all of us here. All right, Smooth, you got any final thoughts before we sign off for the night? No, I'm, I just uh, I appreciate the flowers, Kev, you, you gave out here tonight. I just want to thank the fans for consistently being with us, man. I love y'all. I just want y'all to uh, keep pounding, stay safe, and stay dangerous. There you have it. Uh, as a reminder, you know, just because the Panther season's over doesn't mean we're going to stop working. Uh, be on the lookout for our draft content all throughout the year. Trying to have profiles on all your favorite offensive linemen. We're going to cover the quarterbacks. J.D. does a good job with that position group. And then we're going to cover positions we don't even think we need. We're going to look at linebackers, defensive linemen, cornerback safeties, you know, Vince coaches, DBs. So look out for that content as well. So we'll get that, get the website revamped with our scouting reports. Uh, try to get some YouTube breakdowns on some of these players and got the senior bowl coming up. So we'll have full coverage of that. You know, hopefully we'll get that media credential and attend, send some of our guys out there next year to give you some close-up views at potential prospects. And other than that, man, appreciate y'all. Keep pounding. See y'all hey, next week. Enjoy the hey, game. Hey, hey, Will, and before you go, I, before you go, I want to make sure I do a special shout-out. Um, I, I was down in Tampa last night, and on my way back in, for those that follow me on my personal profile page, uh, I was sitting beside two Panther fans that I just happened to run into at the game, and they just ironically ended up sitting beside me. Um, they said they had, for, they had been following the four-man rush but didn't know it was the four-man rush. Um, so, Will, you the guy that's behind the four-man rush profile on Twitter, which is all they had. Uh, but sitting beside me now, <laughs> they on all the social media sites. So let me give a special shout out to Jonathan and Gina Kidd from out of Fort Mill, South Carolina. Um, they sat with me. They said they was going to be listening tonight. Uh, so Jonathan and Gina, if, you, um, if you're still out there, just want to say I enjoyed uh, flying back, you know, from Tampa to Charlotte with you guys. Uh, it was good to just chat it up with you um, both. Um, <laughs> you know, we 
we rode it out down there in Tampa in that 84 degree weather uh, yesterday. But um, just want to make sure I, I told him I definitely want to get him a shout out because uh, they uh, they were they didn't even know they was four man rush fans, but now they're really four man rush fans. So I uh, just want to say we appreciate you guys and I want to keep my word and um, shout you guys out. So Jonathan, Gina, appreciate the conversation today flying back to Charlotte. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for hanging with us. You know, since we started this in 2018, I think the Panthers have had four consecutive losing seasons. So hopefully we'll be able to have some podcast episodes during better times in the future sometimes. But anyways, you know, again, everybody, thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh, be on the lookout for next week's podcast. We'll keep you up to date on the offensive coordinator search, you know, who, what kind of draft play prospects the Panthers are looking at and what's going on in free agency. You know, we got some big news. You know, I think Scott Fitter has said he's in on every deal. So, you know, we'll see where he surprises us this year. You know, Deshaun Watson going to be a possibility. We never know. So we'll find out. Again, keep pounding. Thank you all for tuning in. Enjoy the game tonight. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.